0: Alright, how am I? Am I on? I don't know. Yeah? Okay, good. I can really not tell. Isn't this great? I'm glad I, oh, I wonder. Is this going to be okay like this, you think? Huh? You know what? I can just hold this for a minute. How about that? I thought, oh, we're, I had something else prepared to wear, jeans, and I was like, try to step it up a little bit. Just take it up a notch since you're actually going to be up there speaking. But um, I am really glad to be here today. I know some of you, but not not most of you. And um, I'm, my, I'm, I'm Pam McDermott. So John and I actually started our sister church to Bluemont uh, Morningstar Church in Lawrence back in 1992. And so we have been in Lawrence for... Since actually, we've, we've each been in Lawrence about 37, 38 years since we moved to Lawrence to attend the University of Kansas. And John and I met, I came from Massachusetts. I had barely been a Christian for a year. And um, I'll talk a little bit more about this later. But um, God really, by his hand, led me to Lawrence, Kansas, to the University of Kansas, and to a church just like this one here. First church I attended um, in Lawrence as a 17-year-old freshman was a church about this size, and we were meeting in a house like the one you've bought and that you're working on. And I will say that my life, um, you know, apart from really God just reaching into my life as a 16-year-old and, you know, Jesus coming to me in a powerful way, as a 16-year-old, that there's nothing that changed my life more than being a part of that little church that was about 40 people meeting in a house in Lawrence, Kansas. And so I know sometimes, like, there's a lot that's gone on here, and I, you know, I understand that, but I want to encourage you that that, you know, God is still at work, and that people's lives, the, the people in this room have the power to change the trajectory of other people's lives. And that last song um, that we were singing, I think it was the last one, Lead Me in Your Love to Those Around Me. I just was standing there and worshiping, and I was reminded of something. I went to a Living Waters training probably three or four years ago, and something that someone said at that stuck, has stuck with me, and I was just reminded of it this morning, that, that you, the people in this room, and me, we, we are answers to people's prayers. Yeah. That there are people praying today For their sons, their daughters, their family members. They're praying. They're just hoping that somebody comes across them and is an answer to that prayer, that that's the opportunity before us every day to the people that we interact with and come in contact with. And we can get all burdened and think, oh my gosh, I have to, I mean, I'm an Enneagram 3. I do not want to be burdened with the Thought of I must develop another relationship in my life to make a difference in someone's life, you know? I can, I can avoid people because of that, because I don't want the responsibility of one more relationship to have to you know, manage or maintain sometimes, and so I can shrink back from that. But when I'm, when I'm realizing that I'm an answer to someone's prayer, it just becomes easy to be aware and awake to the people that God brings across our path to pray and to speak to them. And I don't think there's a better book that we could be going through than the book of Acts. I think I've been begging, like, please, please, can we go through the book of Acts and Lawrence for a long time? And there, there, there's, to me, there is no more encouraging book, especially for the time that we're living in right now. The faith and the, the story that Luke wrote down here for us to be encouraged by for centuries, the Acts and the faith of the apostles. So I know Wayne was here last week. We're going to pick up in Acts 11. And I'm not going to pretend that this is all my message, I changed a little bit, because John preached this last week in Lawrence, and so I took my edits, which I always have, like, this would have been a good thing, and maybe, you know, I took all my corrections and made them a part of this message, and so you guys have, you know, repentance that leads to life, 2.0, the new, the new version, okay? Yes. And there wasn't a lot that I would change, but um, I, know, I know Wayne was here last week and, and spoke on, and you know, you've know you been going along just like we have on Acts 10, and um, I think that he talked about just an, a new way of uh, being normal, you know, Are we, is the normal that we're living in the normal that Jesus died for, that Jesus died to give us? And so I think that's forever a challenge to us, like, hey, that Jesus died to give us something. I, w- I want to be all about the things that Jesus died to give me. I don't want there to be anything that I'm not walking in or hopeful for or believing for that, that Jesus Christ died on the cross to give me. So we're just going to go ahead and get started here. Acts 11. So again, this is repentance that leads to life. All right. Acts 11, verse 1. So now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard, the, heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. So the circumcision party were um, those believers that were having difficulty coming out of their Jewish backgrounds, okay? And so they were critical of Peter, and they said, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Apparently this was a huge indictment. You went to them and you ate, you sat with them and you ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. So he began to, you know, verses, so that's verse 3, and verses uh, like 4 through 14, Peter begins to tell them um, basically what had happened. You know, he was in Joppa staying there, and he had that vision, went into a trance, and happened three times that this linen sheet was let down, and all these animals were there, and the Holy Spirit, you know, the voice said to Peter, hey, kill and eat, and he, you know, Peter was like, no, I could never... I could never do that, you know, and and the voice said to him, hey, what, what I have made clean, don't call common. And um, so he had that vision, and then immediately we, there were the men from Caesarea who were at the door. Um, they had been sent there by Cornelius, so an angel had appeared to Cornelius in another city and said, hey, you're, I want you to go to Joppa and get this man Peter. So At the same time, these things are happening, and so Peter comes down, the men are at the door, and he understands that he should go with them. So we're going to pick that up in verse uh, 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if then, so here's this clause that I was telling John that reminded me of when I was a freshman at KU in 1983 and we had to take computer science. These if then clauses were just, I was kind of triggered by that whole if then in verse 17, like I think I got a D in that class, in that computer science class. That was, that was legit computer stuff that I ended up majoring in French, so <laughs> I was not about the, the computer science. So, but if then, so if, if God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who is I that I could stand in God's way? So that whole idea that if, you know, if God gave this gift, okay, if if God is the one giving the gift, the realization that who, who am I to stand in the way? And so we're kind of introduced to this whole idea of this gift that God gives. And so I have, I was telling them, people at this table. These are our new, new called to greatness. Um, there were boxes of these shipped to us this week, and I know you guys are going to be getting something, but I was like, oh, I, I wanted to get a gift just to give to somebody, so I'm going to give this. just going to give this to you, all right, just as, a, just as a point that, you know, that God gives us this gift, and we don't do anything to earn it. I'm not even sure, like, you know, I've met that young lady before, because, But, I mean, that God, he, it, it's something is, a new, God gives us this gift to repent, gives us this gift of faith, and we're going to see this as we keep going. Sometimes the ability to forgive, that there's this grace that God gives us, and we do nothing to deserve it or to earn it, and we kind of understand grace as this, um, you know, unmerited love and favor of God, and it's much more, as we'll see, But but this gift that we Receive from God that that originates in His heart, we do nothing to um, earn it or even ask for it. No one called me today. I was like, "Hey, can you get me one of those you know, snatch me one of those new water bottles out of the office? I just snatched it, decided that I would do that. so anyway, so that whole this whole idea of this um, you know this gift, so verse eighteen. When they heard these things, they fell silent. So we're still talking about this circumcision party, right, that was kind of giving Peter some, throwing some questions at him. So when they heard these things, they fell silent. And then they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So that's just, we're going to kind of come back to some of these same things, but God has granted repentance that leads to life. So we're going to now uh, go into Acts 11:19 19 to 20. So it's kind of a little bit of a shift here going, you know, we'll meet back up. But now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. So we remember Stephen back from like, I think, chapter 8 or 9, where Stephen was the first martyr. He was stoned, and we remember that um, Saul, before his conversion, was present at Stephen's stoning, Right. So that's what this is referring to, that there was a persecution that arose uh, after Stephen was martyred, and um, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So people scattered, the, some of the disciples scattered and began to preach in these cities here, and they were only speaking to the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So the Hellenists and Antioch were some of the non-Jewish Greeks, okay? So they weren't weren't Jewish. And so we have these men from Cyprus and Cyrene who were also preaching to uh, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish Greeks. And it says, The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So here we have this idea that they... um, these people began to turn to the Lord, and when we think of turning, we should think of um, the idea of repentance, that repentance really is a turning, okay? And so it says here, the hand of the Lord, you know, what is that? What is the hand of the Lord was with them? That's kind of a something we think of, I think, as a like an idiomatic expression, because obviously there wasn't like a giant hand, right? Um, that was present there, the hand of the Lord. But it was like the, they could see what the Lord was doing. There was there was visibility of what the Lord was doing there in Antioch. So it says the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed were turning. So the idea of repentance. So the report of this, what was happening there, came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And we remember Barnabas, he was the man who... Um, I love Barnabas. I loved, I wanted to name one of our kids after Barnabas because I just loved that. But I just thought, I can't maybe do that. I don't know Barnabas, that might be. So, but I love Barnabas. He was the one who, um, when after, after Paul had his conversion experience and, you know, he wanted to come and uh, meet the apostles. They were like, whoa, people weren't really excited about meeting Paul. They were very suspicious of him. Has he really changed? Has, you know, this was the guy murdering Christians and throwing them in jail. I don't think I want to meet him unless... But Barnabas stood in for him and said, hey, he's with me. You know, he stood up for Paul and he took uh, Paul to meet the apostles in Jerusalem. So here we have Barnabas, you know, a very, uh, you know, powerful person. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, and again here we see, and he saw the grace of God, he was glad and he saw the grace of God. So how, it's about the, it's the same idea as the hand of the Lord. We, how do you see the hand of the Lord at work? And what did Barnabas see there in Antioch? That he saw the grace of God. He saw it at work. And yet we kind of know what we would, we've maybe had an experience like that, where we see God's grace at work in someone's life or in a group of people. Because it's, it is seeable. So he saw that. Um. And he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So how did he see that? What did he see? I just want to, I think what he saw was this group of people that, you know, of of healing maybe, purpose, just the light that comes into a a human being when they have been, um, the grace of God has impacted their life, when repentance has happened in their life. There's a newness of life. There's this freshness. There's you know, there's joy. There's something new that's birthed in, in our human in our humanness. You know that God births in us through His grace, through repentance, through um, believing in faith. And that's what He was seeing. So He saw transformation and life, and He saw the transformation that leads to life. So, so He uh, He exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And to me that just speaks to the simplicity of who Barnabas was. You know, he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and he was full of faith. Those aren't, you know, he didn't it doesn't say he had all these gifts or all the, you know, these are just these simple qualities that he had that enabled God to use him in a very powerful way in Antioch. And it says a great many people were added to the Lord And so Barnabas, he went to Tarsus to look for Saul. I thought that was funny, because wherever those two cities are, he had to actually go. I mean, it's not like today, where we could have maybe, you know, reached out on social media or a text or a quick phone call. He had to actually go to the city and look for him, find him. So some of us don't remember what it was like to have to make long-distance phone calls and pay for those when you didn't. Used to cost money to call from Lawrence to Manhattan. Lots of money. You had to call after, uh, <laughs> during certain hours of the day to make it really cheap. But anyway. Um, and so he's, here he is in Tarsus. And when he'd found him, he brought him to Antioch. So Antioch also is a city that um, wasn't Jewish, didn't have the Jewish heritage that uh, some of these other places had. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So that, that whole idea of, of being called a Christian was, um, you know, they saw the, the, the new church there, the believers doing the things that they had heard that Jesus did. Little Christs, the idea is that they were acting like these little Christs and proclaiming the gospel. And, you know, um, the, the idea that the gospel here is for everyone. So then the Gentiles, also God has, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So people come out of darkness by the hand of God, by the grace of God, and it's this interesting kind of organic way that that happens. Like sometimes we can get this idea that, you know, there's these steps and they have to be done in order. First there has to be this, and then there has to be this, and then that. You know, it can't go the other way or it's invalid or something. We can get very Opinionated about that, but um, the the whole uh, we were John and I were actually just down a couple weeks ago. I was going to tell this story because John told it, and I I thought you know it was uh, very applicable to this. But we were down in Nashville just a few weeks ago. A good friend of mine who has been sick with brain cancer for the last six months. She and her husband Greg, my friend Suzanne and Greg Tipton, and Greg will actually be here this fall, and I believe he's coming over here to Manhattan too. To, but we've known Greg and Suzanne for more than 30 years. And she was diagnosed uh, just like this past December with brain cancer. And she was close to 70, but, you know, very healthy otherwise. And, and um, passed away a, about a month ago now. So we were down this last uh, couple weeks ago in Nashville. And, you know, we were with Greg. And um, we had, you know, gosh, there were just so many. Just They had an event the night before her actual funeral with Probably 275 people just sharing stories, and it was just an amazing, beautiful time. But um, met a lot of Greg's family that I had never met before, and we got to talk with uh, John mostly, but um, talked with one of his his older brother, Steve. And um, Steve was just telling Steve's probably he's got to be 65 or so, and he was uh, telling John, you know, just his story, his testimony of how he came to Jesus. And so this, Steve is, Greg's, so Greg's like my age, 55-ish, and Steve's his older brother, okay, stepbrother, actually. So Steve's um, mother had been, when he, he was an only child, you know, for several years, and his mom had had severe mental illness. And he, had, and, you know, Steve's parents had a very, um, you know, violent kind of marriage, a lot of just traumatic things that he was relaying to us. And at one point, you know, she had even stabbed Uh, Steve's father with a knife, and so it was, you know, just that was very serious, and um, so they got a divorce, like in the early 1961, and um, uh, Steve's dad actually got custody of him, which back then was just kind of unheard of, so, you know, his dad got custody of him, but throughout his childhood, like in the first seven years, or the first um, 10 years of his life, I guess, he went to like seven different elementary schools, and so he was... You know, they kind of moved around. And sometimes his mom would actually come and, like, take him, kidnap him, basically, and take him away. And Steve's dad, this happened a couple times, where he'd have to go and find him and, you know, bring him back. So, you know, it was just a very traumatic, difficult thing. He went, like I said, seven different grade schools growing up. And then Steve's dad got remarried and, uh, to a woman who had two kids, Greg, our friend Greg, and his brother Jeff. So I think Greg and Jeff were probably like four and five or five and six at that time. They were young. And um, so, you know, so Steve, you know, he was was a teenager. And just in his teenage years, you know, as things kind of became more settled into his teenage years, he just got bitter. He got angry, began to think about, you know, his life and things that had happened. And, you know, finally there had been this kind of time of what he felt like was this time of peace. But then his mom married this you know, woman with these two kids, and eventually they had a, a daughter together too, and so he just, you know, he was angry and um, began to uh, do what angry people do that don't know what else to do, They began to do drugs and began down this path of just making really, you know, poor decisions and, um, you know, turned to those kinds of things, and ultimately when he was like uh 17, his dad kicked him out of the house just because all, you know, the choices he was making were just so, you know, just not what, things that are easy to live with. But during this time, he talked about how, you know, he was blaming everyone else. Just, you know, he was stuck just in that cycle of being a victim, you know, and blaming everyone else for all the choices he'd made as a result of, you know, this life that he had been dealt in a sense. But, you know, he says he became the ultimate victim. You know, he just, he refused to take any responsibility. Couldn't see where he was really responsible for any of the choices that he was making. And he only could see that other people were to, to blame. So for a period of time, he was homeless and, you know, just going like partying, 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 drugs. And, you know, one night um, he ta- he told us how his he was with some people and had done all these drugs and they basically thought he had died maybe and just kind of threw him out of the car on the side of the road and kind of left him for dead or left, you know, just left him there. And he had, he had clearly overdosed and, um, you know, was just left there. And so he told, he told the story. It was just so beautiful because this, I think, happened in Reno, wherever he, and several, maybe a couple hundred miles away, uh, at the same time, just in a, in, on the, east, or the west coast, was the time of the Jesus people movement. And I don't know, how many of you are, even know what the heck that is? You guys are so young. Okay, good, Suzanne, good, you've heard of it on Wikipedia. <laughs> no. But the Jesus, so when I became a Christian in like 1982, like I was still hearing stories about the Jesus people. And just at the Christian summer camp that I went to, you know, it was like all the things that kind of came out of the Jesus people, even new churches, new churches that were um, formed out of that, like the Calvary Chapel churches and on the West Coast. So a lot of things came out. But what, what it was was a time of the Holy Spirit just impacting groups of young people on the West, and, and by the hundreds, they were like being water baptized in the Pacific Ocean. It's very similar to what we're reading about here in the book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit, you know, God's Spirit was being poured out, His grace being poured out. This was after the 60s, you know, which we understand a time of just excessive drug use and, and those kinds of things, but those very people were coming to this faith in Jesus. And so... You know, that that was kind of, this Jesus people revival was going on in the early to mid-70s, and so young people, like in mass numbers, like I said, so this young man that picked him up on the side of the road, so a young man who had been impacted in that way, and was, you know, driving by, saw him there, and basically picked him up, put him in the car, and began just to share the gospel with him, the truth of the gospel, and brought him into a community like like this, you know, a church community where there was a strong sense of community, um, of, of living, you know, like the book of Acts, like we, this is the way we are going to live, this is how God wants us to live, and so just in that moment of sharing the gospel, the truth of what he had done, the, the weight of what he had been responsible for, um, the choices that he had made, you know, kind of came to him as the grace of God, like an it, that helped him to see and understand just in a moment, you know, what, what his part was, but that God was there with him and wanted to change his life all, all in this one moment. And he said that in a moment he turned to the Lord and his life was forever changed. Forever, just the, the first, the just forever changed, never turned back. And, um, you know, I think that that you know, like we said, the ability to repent, you know, the ability to be changed, to be transformed is really a gift from God that doesn't originate with us. We think it does. We forget, you know, sometimes, but it's not something that originates in human beings' heart. They don't just sort of like one day, I think I should, you know, but somehow the Holy Spirit, somehow God's presence has Impacted their life or broken through and and shown us something that that makes us believe that I can change, something can be different. God can God can come into my life right now. And just I, I was reminded as I was reading that there's a verse in Hebrews 12 where it talks about Esau. It's uh, Hebrews 12 verse 16 and 17. I'm not going to go there, but. It says, it talks about Esau, how he was, you know, Jacob and Esau were the twins in the Old Testament there. Um, and that he, Esau had basically given up his birthright for this, you know, he was hungry one day and basically gave up his birthright for food. And it says that later he regretted that, that he was regretful that he had done that. But it says that he couldn't find a place of repentance, though he sought for it with tears. And I can remember reading that as a young Christian and just being sort of like very impacted by that, like that the grace of God comes to give us this gift of repentance that leads to life, and sometimes we ignore it. We might think, well, hmm, I don't really want to repent of that. I don't really want to acknowledge the grace of God coming to me in this moment, or I don't want to acknowledge the opportunity that I have, and we think, well, maybe tomorrow, maybe later, another time but that here we see that there's this idea presented to us that we don't always get to choose when we'll repent, you know? So he was there, you just read that, but there were these bitter tears that he shed because, you know, he couldn't get to that place of real repentance. And so, um, you know, so Steve's story, just, I, I just thought, you know, he he said he heard the gospel. There was this truth and grace in this moment that he had been responsible, but there was grace that this burden lifted in his life, and there was this peace and joy that came into his life. And that's what I think it means to see the grace of God. Those kind of experiences, you know. So it's God granting to us these things instead of us striving in our own striving to to live and um, behave and do the right things, you know, but there was this correlation between, you know, it's, so we see that grace isn't just this idea of God's favor and love that we don't deserve, but it's also the power of God that restrains our hearts from sin. You know, grace is the thing that originates with God that he gives to us as a gift that actually re- causes us to restrain our hearts from sinning. So, um, There's, there's a, then we see that there, um, I I thought John did such a great job talking about this last week that, you know, there's this idea of the grace and there's, um, let me find here where we're at. Maybe you guys know, hold on here. There was a slide he had with like grace and um, believing and um, faith or, you know, and which comes first which comes first? Do you have to believe before you repent? Well, sometimes. Do you experience God's grace, or do you have the grace, and then you can repent? Yeah, sometimes that. You know, what's the order that it comes in sometimes? We, you know, it's all those things, and they kind of organically work together, this grace and repentance and believing. It's amazing. really is, and we can think of, you know, maybe just in our own lives how that has been our story too. So, don't ever get stuck thinking, do you have to repent first? Well, where's where's God operating? We just begin to see sometimes that I have to believe, I think. Our response is always to believe and to receive. And so little of it originates in us. So of course then we have these, you know, when that when God when when God gives us that grace to restrain our hearts, you know, immediately it's like I know for all of us that have come to that kind of faith in Jesus, I know for me, like, there were the obvious things that you repent of immediately, right? Like, uh, there's the Ten Commandments that we have to um, look at, right? No more stealing, no stealing, no lying, no sexual immorality in all its forms, right? There's just, there are those things. And then there's these things that, you know, are ongoing, that are more internal, that Jesus talked about it's not enough to just not murder, then it's like Jesus kind of redefined all those things, right? Like if you have hatred in your heart, that's something that we need to re, you know, have repentance and receive the grace of God, that that's not okay. Um, you know, lust. Lust, uh, the whole idea of sexual immorality isn't then just the things that we do, you know, sex with someone else. It, it's, it's the lust that originates in our heart. And you know the whole idea of like things like, I mean, the idea that porn is somehow a safe form of sexual morality is just crazy. It's something that originates in our heart and is highly, you know, destructive. It's not. It's just not safe at all in that way. But God's grace comes to give us the power to repent. And I'm just reminded. Um, like I said, I shared a little of my story. I was I was thinking about this last week when John was preaching and. For me, I, I, I went to a Christian, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, I never, I, I don't remember hearing about Jesus Christ until I was 13 years old and I went to a Christian summer camp. And at this camp there were people, they, the summer camp was basically all college people, college age students who came, and some a little older, but that came year after year to be counselors for, you know, some teen, young teens and, and then kids as young as five. It was an overnight camp. Those are very popular. New England parents send their kids off to summer camp for the summer. And um, I was not about being sent to summer camp until I was 13 and met one of my little brother's counselors who I thought was very cute. And so then I thought, well, I will go next year, okay? So that is how God got me to summer camp. Um <laughs> Praise him is right, is right. So, so there I was 13. I really had never, and and so that's what I mean like your lives here. I mean, just the impact that, and it's funny when you know when you're 13 or 14, you think of people that are 23 as so freaking old. We have laughed about this. When John and I were in our church, you know, in college, there were people that in. In my 20-year-old mind, I look back and I think about them and I'm like, they were really like these solid people, older people. They were in their, we sat down recently actually and figured out, they were in their late 20s. In our minds, they were like 40s, you know, they're in their 40s. They're old and stable and had kids, you know, like probably, probably Jenny's age, seriously. But they were, just, we were like, wow, they're married and have kids, we should like, how are they doing that? You know, it just, was just this funny thing about age, right? But Anyway, so I was at camp, and, you know, I was hearing the gospel preached from all, like, just shared from, you know, how Jesus had impacted different people's lives at that time. And, you know, I I was definitely, like, something in my heart stirred, and I wanted that. But then I'd go home, and, you know, camp counselors would write me letters, actually, about, like, hey, read this in the Bible, read that. But it wasn't until the summer that I was 16, so it was right before my senior year of high school, that, you know, I never did stop chasing the older camp counselors, basically. And so I was 16, and, um, you know, someone who had known me since that first year I had been at camp, Mike Matthias, basically one day looked at me and said, you know, I, I see what you're doing. I see the way you're living. I see this thing going on in you, and, you know, it's not, it's not good, and God wants to be a father to you. He basically just looked at me and said, look, God God wants, he loves you, and he wants to be a father to you, and that's the thing you're looking for. And all this other stuff, you know, that you're trying, that you're, that's what you're looking for, and that's why you're doing all these things. And literally, it was like this story. In a moment, the grace of God came to me. The truth came to me. And in my heart, I knew. I was like, oh, oh, that is true. I can't say that I broke down right there and then and was like, but that, that was like something that, you know, and the next few weeks, over the next few weeks, I went home, and I can still, I I took a Bible with me, and I began to read it, because I was like, this is the only way I can know, know who Jesus is. I have to begin to read the Bible, and try to, you know, I was just wrestling with those things that I knew were true that he had said to me, and the faith came, because for me, I was like, the faith came to trust him to go on this, like, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm not. There were moments I didn't even know if God was real. There was just these things that came at me that, is God real, you know, over the next year? And somehow, like, one thing after another, like this faith journey for a year and praying about where to go to college landed me at the University of Kansas. And like I said, in a church about this size, on the same mission that this church is about. And that's where my life really began to change. And so, you know, we we all hopefully have a story like that and, and and that's just the beginning. That's just that was the first thing. I promise you, 32 years of being married and having, you know, five kids and having a job and being part of a community. I promise you there have been times I've had to repent. I know it's hard to believe how that I have had to, but there you know that that process of receiving God's grace and um, to the ability to repent and to see something different, receive truth, and to, it's just, an, you, you have to live that out in an ever-increasing manner, and in, in, in the deeper things in our life. And really, ultimately, I think it leads us to this place of, of abandoning our self-interests for the purpose of God, for the mission of God, for the, you know, what is God about doing on the earth? You know, what is he about? You know, we set, we begin to set our eyes less and less on our interests, and more and more on his which is his kingdom in this earth, and it just becomes less and less about us, because honestly, living that way will be so good for you for such, a long, for such a long time, it will be, it'll just work to your advantage, John talked about this, like, you know, living your life in a way where you're not lying, stealing, or, you know, having sex, and, you know, all that will make your life less complicated, it'll make your life better you know, but that's not where it begins and ends, it, it continues to, God continues to work in us until it really isn't about us anymore, it's about how God can use our lives here, and in band, you know, we begin to come out, you know, it's not about, like, like I said, about our interests, but his, so we begin to go on that mission of finding people, and being a part of, like, what happened at Antioch, where God's spirit was poured out, and there's people that God has for us to reach that are like Barnabas, they're like Saul, they're, you know, Peter, Mary Magdalene, there's, there's people like that, and um, God wants to use us to find those people, so totally forgot that we're supposed to have questions, so is that something we have to have here? We'll have questions. I'm going to come up with one right now, something. <laughs> But what I think is really important, you know, I, I think, okay, there could be some things we could talk about, like maybe have you had that experience, and when is the last time you had an experience like that? Because the Holy Spirit, God will keep coming to you in that way, and wherever you kind of said, no, I don't, I don't want, I'm you reject God, like, you know, you have to go back to that place, kind of, I think. Where was the last time you kind of didn't allow, you know, God to bring you to a place of repentance, so I would encourage that to be something, but I think this morning, too, just praying and encouraging one another is so important, you know. Barnabas's name means encouragement, son of encouragement, and I think wherever he went, he was a simple person that was, had his eyes on God, and he was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith, and, you know, that that's, we want to encourage one another to be those people, so. If there's nothing else, should I just pray and just go ahead and do that? All right, I just want to pray for you guys. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this group of people. Lord, I believe that you have um, impacted every person's life in this room today, not just several years ago or a year ago or last week, but that you continue to work in them and impact them every day, Lord, That that there's things that you are doing in their life, even though this season might seem hard. Lord, I just reminded that hard things are, that's kind of the point, that life is hard and that sometimes out of difficulties, Lord, you bring a clarity and um, a new vision and a, a fresh, fresh energy. You bring good things out of hard seasons in our life. And so hard seasons are kind of part of it and kind of the point because there you are in the middle of it. And Lord, I just pray for every person in this room this church God I thank you for the call that you have on this church to reach this city to reach this campus Lord I pray it wouldn't be striving or under any kind of compulsion Lord but just out of a out of their relationship with you out of their love for one another out of the sense for community that they have out of what they desire to see built here what they want to have um, you know, with people in this city and on this campus, Lord, out of all of their heart of love for you and out of your love for this, for this place, God, I pray for just new life to come. Pray that there be just these divine appointments that, are, that we would be awakened to as we um, go about doing the things that we have to do during the week, God, and I just pray for faith, a spirit of faith and um, encouragement to come upon them individually and as a community. Thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right.